really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I always love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, there was yet another full weekend of fixtures, so let's dive right in, shall we? So as always, we start with current updates and, you know, not too much to report on the home front this week. We're, we're collectively, as a family, sort of entering our final week of summer camp, and uh, my partner has basically been the star of the entire place, while my son has been the perfect camper, at least according to the counselors, who, you know, I'm, I'm sure feel no pressure at all to say nice things when we're asking how he's doing. In any event, uh, like many things, you know, bittersweet. An amazing place. It's allowed me to produce my tiny Veterans Memorial Stadium, a project you've probably seen on Twitter and I'm hoping to finish up maybe tomorrow, in fact. Uh, but I just don't know if I can go back again next summer. So it's, uh, I guess it's a little bit emotional. Uh, you know, very cool people I've met this summer. My son has found some new buddies as well as Pokemon. So <laughs> wish me luck. He's He's people have to know. Yes, Isa, it is good news this week. With the headline, Promising Commonwealth Games, gives Uganda hope for a World Rugby Sevens Challenger Series. So reading from the article, of course, linked in the show notes, Uganda coach Tolbert Yonyango is hopeful his side's experience at the recent Commonwealth Games can act as a springboard to success at the World Rugby Sevens Challenger Series. Twelve men's and as many women's teams have made their way to Chile for this weekend's tournaments, with the winner of each securing their place as a core team for the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series 2023. For Onyango, qualification for the series would not only be the culmination of five years' hard work, but would, quote, change everything, unquote, for aspiring male sevens players in Uganda. Quote, it would create a pathway for the young players who are picking up the sport, unquote, Onyango told World Rugby. Quote, it would show them that even if you pick up the sport locally, you can go and play internationally and be recognized for your efforts, unquote. Uganda warmed up uh, for the one-off Challenger Series event in Santiago, Chile, by competing in the Commonwealth Games at Coventry Stadium at the end of July. Although defeat to England in their final match confirmed a 10th place finish for the Crane Sevens, it was only their second loss of the tournament. Having lost their pool stage opener against Kenya, Uganda came within a kick of beating series contenders Australia, who had been reduced to five players in the closing stages. That result effectively ended their hopes of reaching the quarterfinals in Coventry, but they recovered to beat Jamaica, Sri Lanka, and Tonga before losing to England in the ninth place playoff. Ninth place playoff, that is. Jamaica and Tonga, who Uganda beat at their at Coventry Stadium last month, will also be in Santiago. However, both have been drawn in Pool B. Uganda appear to have been given a daunting task, lining up in Pool C alongside Germany and Uruguay, who each finished in the top five of the inaugural Challenge Series standings two years ago, and Lithuania. Germany beat Uganda 19-12 to at the 2020 Challenger Series event. 
and uh, Vigna del Mar, which was their fourth consecutive victory in the fixture since their first meeting in 2017, having come so close to securing a memorable victory against Australia last uh, last month. How confident is Onyango that Uganda can emerge from Pool C this weekend and win the Challenger Series? Quote, it's about getting out of our pool and getting to the top eight, he insisted. Getting to the top eight will be our priority. You can never be too sure about these things, but we are geared up, we are ready to go, and we will leave it all out on the pitch, unquote. Well, as listeners will know, I finally managed to get excited about sevens tournaments, so this is very cool news for me, and this is very good news indeed for a certain good friend of the pod and fellow Freejacks superfan, who I hope to see in the stands next season. Okay, thoughts of the week. So last week, I said I might stop with stories from rugby's strangest matches, but I have changed my mind. So sue me. Actually, please please don't sue me. It would be a huge waste of your time. In any event, I've got another one this week, and it, it really put a smile on my face. As always, I've added a way to get your own copy of this lovely tome of rugby esoterica. This week's installment is a chapter entitled Mother's Day. So our story this week Rugby can be an aggressive game at the best of times, with 30 young players all striving to establish themselves in the hurly-burly of a contact sport played at speed. Is it any wonder that tempers are occasionally frayed? But when spectators get angry and become physically involved in the action on the field, then the line has to be drawn. During France's tour of New Zealand in 1961, the French team were embroiled in brawls in several games. Strong refereeing was often required to cool eager forwards as the temperature began to rise. One game in particular against South Canterbury at Timaru stood out for the rough play involved. South Canterbury had never beaten a touring side, but in front of 23,000, this was to be their day. Their mobile forwards completely disrupted the French, whose tour form hit rock bottom in this match, and the home side, who ran out 17-14 winners despite finishing with only 14 men, led from an early stage. Trouble broke out at the lineouts during the second half. Barging and pushing escalated into fisticuffs, and it was the French who bore the brunt of referee Pat Murphy's ire. By the end of the game, the penalty count went 17-4 to against the tourists, who were lucky not to have had a player sent off. But the most astonishing incident occurred near the end of the match. After South Canterbury's second 5-8, Eddie Smith was felled by a stiff arm tackle. Michel Coste, the French captain, incensed the crowd further by picking the, uh, uh, the listless listless is a strange word to call it smith up from the scruff of the neck and promptly dropping him back to the ground whereupon a 56 year old woman in the crowd rushed out from her seat spoke to close and clouded him on the back of his neck with her clenched fist two policemen had to intervene before escorting her amid loud and approving cheers from the field afterwards the mother from uh oamaru explained that she felt the tactics of the french team were quote totally uncalled for i was so mad i did not know what i was doing i hit him hard but i don't think it hurt i think he got a bit of a shock though unquote attending the match with her husband two children and a nephew she added in her defense quote it was not good for young boys to see that sort of play unquote monsieur Coast's reaction to the irate woman is not on record <laughs> i don't know there's something about that particular anecdote that just tickled me i love it really fun stuff Okay, of course, it is time for our weekly reviews, and we're going to start, naturally, with the boringly named Rugby Championship, and of course, to start off, it was South Africa versus New Zealand, and I was absolutely crapping myself heading into this one. The crowd was at a fever pitch long before kickoff, and again managed to drown out the haka, which in recent memory has been a bad sign for the ABs. 
I liked New Zealand's energy coming out of the gates. It looked like they'd sort of schemed up some new concepts to try to turn things around, but I still had my doubts. The box are just such a machine at this point. No, I may win the Captain Obvious Award for this one, but I think it's time I admitted to myself that New Zealand aren't the best team in the world any longer. And further, their current world ranking is probably fairly accurate. I'm, I'm not sure why that sort of hurts so much, but it seriously causes me actual pain to think about. In any event, the game was frantic. Both teams muffling a couple of scoring opportunities, including one for the All Blacks set up by the genius that is Artie Savia. That man is just redonk. However, none of these opportunities translated onto the scoreboard, and there were still no points after the first 20 minutes. At least a couple of times when Ethan DeGroote was tackled and presenting the ball, Artisavia would snatch it up and drive over the top. And, you know, by the second and maybe even third time this had happened, even to me, it looked like this has to be part of Fozzie's plan for the day. But, you know, to be honest, I'm probably going to have to wait until Squidge ex explains it to us all in an upcoming video. In any event, the Kiwis got onto the board and then at minute 27, it was Sam Kane with his 16th international try. The All Blacks were leading by eight after Moanga dragged the conversion across the face of the sticks. Quick side note, Semisoni uh, Tokiaho, he, oh my gosh, Tokiaho has incredibly light and shifty feet for a hooker. What a player. Really earned his spot in the squad after torching pretty much every other hooker in Super Rugby this past year. Just a shocking talent. Almost at the moment I finished writing that, boom, Tokiaho smashes through for a try set up by Caleb Clark and Rico Ioane. With five minutes remaining in the half, New Zealand were nursing a nil to 15 advantage. But the way things have been going for them, I swear, it felt like they were down by at least that much. And exactly as I feared, it was Lacanio Am in for a try, then Andre Pollard with a pen to make it 10 to 15 at the break. Holy crap with this team right now. In the second half, the two rugby titans exchanged penalty kicks before Mwanga made it an eight-point lead with another kick. But again, it, it just didn't feel like they had any real momentum. With the final quarter out of play, there was only a single point in it, South Africa 20, New Zealand 21. A yellow card for Bowden Barrett coming in off the bench after being KIA just last week looked very ominous indeed. And Andre Pollard, of course, came through again for the box and got them their first lead of the day. Heading into the final 10 minutes, they showed the penalties over the last 10 infractions. New Zealand were stumbling seven given away to three. That is a damning stat to me. At 73 minutes, David Havili, a great player who just doesn't seem to get mentioned very often. He scored for the ABs and Mwanga made it 23 to 28 after the extras. And then the forgotten Barrett, Scott, just managed to sneak one in, making it 23 to 33. And as the conversion went over, the final whistle blew with the uh, visitors finding a way to secure a 12-point win. Just a uh, heart attack rugby all day long. Lest we forget that makes New Zealand two and four over the last six but Ian Foster likely just found himself a get-out-of-jail-free card, which, I don't know, may or may not be the best thing going forward. I will now pour a giant bucket of cold water all over myself. Ah. Argentina versus Australia was next, of course, and I was grateful because I cared much less about the outcome. So right off the bat, oh my word, a quick and simple handling error just landed in the hands of Argentina. They were up a converted try at around two minutes. The fans were just going completely bonkers. By the way, at a lot of these stadiums in Argentina, they have the, the, those sort of super high fences with the barbed wire at the top. And when I once heard somebody explaining why that is, the answer was simply football. So there's that. So two tries down and nothing on the board after only five minutes. You had to wonder how the Wallabies would uh, respond, wounded as they were, depleted by injuries big time. But the Aussies clawed back in it to make it 14 to 10, appeared to take a lead with the comms just went out of their minds as the ref announced it was no try it was epic 
The result was Los Pumas getting right back at it and piling on another score. Things were already looking bad for Australia fans. To be fair, it was a brilliant come from behind performance from the Wallabies last week. So maybe... Anyway, around the half-hour mark, I guess I blinked because kapow, it was another breakaway try for Argentina. Buffelli actually missed the extras for a change, making it 26-10. to 10. Marika Corbete, he made an absolutely spectacular defensive play to save another try for the home team, uh, from the home team, I should say, uh, but they were still down. The Aussies were still down 16 going into the lockers. At that point, things went from bad to, whoa, that's bad. Uh, in the second half, Argentina just sort of poured it on with another 22 points to the Aussie seven. Okay, I have to ask. Once again, I might just be trying to earn more points towards the Captain Obvious Award, but are Argentina, like, much better than we were all prepared for them to be? In the last two and a half years, they've beaten New Zealand for the first time in their history, tied the Aussies twice in a row within a couple of weeks, tied then beaten Wales, smashed Italy by more than two to one, beaten Scotland two out of three tests in this latest series, and smash the Wallabies in no uncertain terms just this weekend. Are Los Pumas underrated in the world rankings and in our minds? As I'm writing, the Scotland and Wales are both ranked ahead of them. Do we still think that's accurate? Just speculating is all. I mean, don't forget, when COVID hit, the Argentinian government was basically like, hey, everybody, you guys should go find other jobs because the Pumas don't really exist anymore. And now they're just tearing up trees. It's incredible. I'm, just, I'm very curious to see where this is going. Okay, moving on to the FPC. It was round five, and we started with Otago facing Tasman. This one was echoed by the upcoming MPC fixture as well. Very cool, but I couldn't quite, you know, put it together whether they had actually done a, like a double header. I know there was at least one other double header this weekend, but man, oh man, like finding out actual information about rugby New Zealand is bizarrely difficult in the United States. They are the country everyone in the world associates with rugby, but there's just no content. There, there aren't even really podcasts I can find. It's odd. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. In any event, Otago, I'm sorry, they effing destroyed Tasman with the visitors not scoring until there was about two minutes left. 39 to 7 was the massive total. Then it was Manawa 2 facing Wellington. The home side looked very strong throughout the first quarter of play, leading 12 to 3. They held a 10-point advantage going into the break. The second half proved much the same. Wellington never really looked threatening. And Manawatu, they would get their first win of the season with a comfortable 38-17 victory. Next up, it was Hawks Bay versus Taranaki. Hawks Bay wasted no time in scoring the first try, going up in the first couple of minutes. It turned out that was definitely a harbinger of things to come with a completely dominant performance throughout the first half. It was 26 to zip with less than a half hour gone. The visitors would only get five going into the intermission. And by the three-quarter mark, it was 33 to 10. Things looked bleak for Taranaki. Both teams got another unconverted try before this one was over. But in the end, it just wasn't close. Hawks Bay added the old insult injury try right at the death and came away huge winners, 45 to 15, tripling up Taranaki. Uh, anyway, in a titular battle for the North, it was Northland versus North Harbor. And again, the home team looked comfortable as the first half wore on. Serious upside for the visitors, though, was a player by the name of Haley Hutana. Oh my gosh, she's so good. Her left book, uh, left book, her left boot looked as reliable as any I've seen. She's just an assassin out there. They still found themselves against a bit of a wall, trailing 28-2 to 13 at the break. But then, as if she knew I had been pointing her out, it was Haley Hutana scoring a brilliant try, converting the extras as well, giving Harbor their first lead of the day, 22 to 23, at the 50-minute mark. The hosts, they looked a bit rattled right then. Northland, they retook the lead not too long after. However, 
and the crowd came alive as their guests dropped a great pass to cough up possession only a few minutes remaining in the game. But a furious ending as North Harbor were driving as the horn went for full time. But their hosts, they forced a turnover, quickly sent it into touch. And at 27 to 23, Northland secured their fifth win out of five for an incredible start to the season. Really compelling stories unfolding in each and every week in the FPC. Gotta love it. Next up, of course, it was Canterbury, uh, Canterbury versus Waikato. I have to say, I tuned in late, like right at the start of the final quarter, but I was just instantly swept up into this one. At that point, it was 24 to 20. All the action on the pitch was just furious. Bodies flying everywhere. So many huge collisions. Waikato, they showed remarkable skill in scoring the next go-ahead try. This one was going to go to the wire. You could just tell. Sure enough, the Canterbury scrum half duped everyone and sticked in for a very clever try with only four minutes remaining. It was a two-point game with at the two-minute warning. And yes, I know there's no two-minute warning in rugby, but there is in my head. Waikato, they kicked away what could have been their last possession, banking on their defense having enough time to force another turnover, but it backfired. They were coming in from the side, though the comms disagreed. Canterbury, they squeaked out with the win, retaining the J.J. Stewart Memorial Trophy by the skin of their teeth, 29 to 27 at the end. Really great game. And then Bay of Plenty versus uh, Counties Monaco. Not going to lie, I didn't have a chance to see this one. But I checked out the last five minutes or so just to sort of check out the score. And at that point, Counties Monaco, they were up by six before scoring a game-ending to try to put any hopes of a bonus point out of reach. The Kamoi victors on the road, 12 to 25 all told. Things are really heating up in the FPC. Great stuff. So moving on to round two of the NPC, what a great competition. I just love it. Oh, actually, to be fair, we were still technically in round one for that additional Wednesday fixture, pitting Manawa 2 against Auckland. I can't actually tell you anything about the opening quarter hour because the replay started with 15 plus minutes of test pattern. Yay, great stuff. By the time we could actually watch, the home team had a one score lead up eight to three on the visitors. But around 23 minutes, Auckland claimed the first lead with flanker Nico Jones, who'd been with the club since 2020 and played for Moana Pacifica in Super Rugby, getting his first ever career try. Nice work, Nico. So Auckland, they looked pretty well in control. They were still up 13 with 47 minutes to go when, oh man, oh man, a redonkey try from Jordan Trainer, the Auckland fullback. Just, you know, an insane gathering of a lucky, lucky ball in the right place at the right time, but also it just needed unreal skills to actually make it happen. It was a, a thing of physical mastery. The types of athletics feats that you see in the sport, they're just unlike any others, just so good. But of course, by the time I finished writing that, the visitors looked well in control. By the way, last week's Diamond in the Ruck recipient, uh, Zarin Sullivan, he came in off the bench to put Manawatu well to bed, 18 to 45 and a bit of a blowout, though you wouldn't have guessed it to start off. So, Oh, 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 next up was Hawks Bay versus Counties Monaco. And who boy, I was psyched up for this one. Hawks Bay are the current possessors of the storied Rand Furley Shield. And they would be defending it from the visitors, which for me just always adds a very cool extra layer to the lead up. Also, quick side note, for whatever reason, you know, often in these broadcasts, there's a few minutes of sort of fake broadcast sort of prior to the start of the actual broadcast where, you know, the camera crew are still finding their angles, they're setting up shots they know they're going to want later. Sometimes the comms are practicing their openings or other prearranged bits. I don't know. There's something immensely charming and somehow reassuring about it. 
In this case, they were running through all their on-screen transition graphics to make sure that they were all ready to go. And then one operator just individually trying to arrange their camera in front of the Rand Fairley shield to get the best possible angle for when they eventually highlight it. You know, maybe I'm the only one who gets a kick out of this stuff, but I'm okay with that, you know? Anyway, for a bit of background, Hawks Bay would be making their 13th defense of the shield since winning it in 2020. And for the third time this year, Counties Monaco, Counties Monaco were hoping to uh, to win it for the only the second time in their franchise history. Meanwhile, Hawks Bay at the start of this match are the third most successful union in terms of Rand Furley wins all time. This, the third season, holding it in a row. The comms also mentioned they've successfully defended it twice in 2022, but uh, those other two matches were against Heartland competition, which is, you know, a tear down from the Bunnings NPC. They also teased that the home team weren't wearing their traditional hoops, but instead were a very special kit that they would explain as the match wore on. I love that stuff. Of course, they didn't really. They said, oh yeah, it's, it's for charity. And they didn't explain what the charity was or anything else about it. Anyway, quick shout out to friend of the pod, John Anderson. As I noticed, former Glasgow Warrior and Scotland International Nick Grigg playing at center. And like I've said, it, it's the thing with the NPC. It's just a constant, oh, that guy, while you're watching. It's so much fun. So I'd love to say this one was close and a nail biter and all that. And it was close until late in the first half when the Magpies just went on an absolute tear. It was 28 to six heading into the locker rooms. As I said at the top, I'd been very excited for this one. And frankly, got a little bit boring. Both teams sort of looking sloppy penalties and unforced errors coming all over the place with the lead equaling the minutes left at 15. It was a bit hard to watch. There were something like 25 penalties combined the number of times the ball got held up over the try line. Oh my word, just so frustrating. Naturally, though, Atene Nanais Toro renewed my faith and my commitment to watch, scoring an absolute beauty through his uncanny, just otherworldly individual skills. The visitors earned themselves a legitimate chance to steal it, but after getting within two with only one restart to go, they flubbed the catch and it was all over. Gotta say, the, the refereeing was. I'm going to say weird this whole game. Ben O'Keefe, he's an official I have a ton of faith in, but I don't know. He was kind of all over the place. I feel sure like fans of both teams are going to be crying foul on the socials all week long. 33 to 32 was the margin in yet another successful shield defense. I only wish it had been prettier, just a little bit weird. Next up was Otago versus Tasman. I mean, it was, it was kind of a bloodbath. There were bodies flying everywhere. It was just, holy cow, it was what my mom would have called a roughhouse factory. <laughs> However, when things did settle down, it became a real game. It was a tight knot at eight at the break. The second half saw all the momentum switch to Otago. They built a hefty lead before the Mako woke up and clawed back in it. Down nine in the closing minutes, Tasman got a penalty goal to ensure a losing bonus point. But then, after the Hooter, they found themselves driving for a potentially game-winning try... But Otago stole a crucial line out. And that was all she wrote, 25 to 19 at the end. Next up, Northland versus Waikato. And for this one, Damian McKenzie had switched over to 10. So as I said last week, he really is Bodine Waka 2.0. Does that mean that we might see him in Free Jack's colors next season, perhaps? And yes, before you all come at me and tell me that's ridiculous, I know. I know, being ridiculous is somewhat of a tradition here, so give me a break. In any event, it was close in large part because nobody could keep their hands on the ball in the deluge. I mean, it was freaking pouring out. With the seagulls struggling to fly in straight lines overhead, it was kind of like a mini trip to Galway. Very cool. In any event, Waikato had a couple of tries disallowed in the first half for reasons I couldn't quite discern. Uh, they were behind 10-6 to 6 going into the sheds, but as the rain dissipated, the visitors were literally able to find their footing 
pulled ahead 10 to 16 with a quarter hour to go. As the clock ticked away, Northland had several opportunities to score a go-ahead try, but the elements and their own fumble fingers conspired to give it back to Waikato each time. 10 to 16 was how this one would end. Waikato beating Northland for the first time since 2018. Seems remarkable. So then it was Canterbury versus Wellington. I only dropped in for the very last bit, but boy, oh boy, it was a butt kicking in progress. Canterbury up 36 to 10 with under five minutes to play. They scored yet another try courtesy of former England player, Willie Hines, or as he's known to his friends, Billy Ketchup. (laughs) As always, content here is best had with a few grains of salt. By the end, it was a 43 to 10 smackdown from Canterbury and the comms belted a comprehensive and dominant performance from the 14 time NBC champions, Canterbury. So I'm really glad they shouted that knowledge at me. Good stuff. Anyway, Southland versus Auckland was next in what I'm calling the Battle of the Lambs. This is a fertile land and we will thrive. We will rule over all this land and we will call it this land. This, of course, was the third match for Southland in eight days, but at least that will be that out of the way, you know, as early in the season as possible. Also, it was such a gorgeous day out. As opposed to, you know, the biblical scene that had unfolded in Northland, I thought to myself, what's this city like anyway? So they're based in Invercargill. So when you look at the Google map, one of the things automatically highlighted is a place called Demolition World, which, you know, for me, raised far more questions than it answered. For another complete non sequitur here, by the way, Marty Banks was wearing what appeared to be like an inflatable brace on his right bicep, but under the compression sleeve. So it looked like he was wearing, you know, a fake muscle suit, but just on, only on one side. The man, he just keeps giving and giving, whether he's aware of it or not. In any event, Auckland, they somehow scored two tries without my seeing either of them. They enjoyed a 6-14 to 14 edge going into halftime. If you'll pardon the alliteration, fast forward to 55 minutes, and it was 13 to 17. You could see the tension increasing in the body language of the players. This is not a competition to be taken lightly. Anyway, the awkwardly named Harry Plummer converted a late try, making it an eight-point lead. Always a steep hill to climb when you're under 12 minutes to go. Got to say, Southland looked really confident, though, and they were putting some good things together. I don't know. They just look like a like a Belichick team to me. They look like, like he's going to select the right guys who have the right attitude. I don't know. It's hard to describe unless you're a Patriots fan. And then, oh, my friends, it was one of those, wow, this is why I like this moments. Just knowing it was their final chance for bonus point in the match. Southland, they ran a line out with no call. Like it was so prearranged that there was no discussion. They kind of leisurely walked up, boom, just executed the play. No talk, no call, perfect execution, Perfect, you know, follow-up play, perfect mall. Boom, soon after, they made good to make it 23-24. to 24. A surprising home loss for Southland, or so said the comms, but a great ending to secure that losing bonus point. Okay, moving on. It was Bay of Plenty versus Taranaki. When the home side was up 10-3 to 3 at the 25-minute mark, I realized, you know, it might be more fun to go outside and play basketball with my son. So that's what I did. And that turned out to be a great idea. First of all, because it was really fun to play with my son. But also when I returned, I discovered that this one ended in a huge blowout with a, you know, a rub it in try coming right as the clock expired. It was a whopping 46 to six beatdown by play of uh, Bay of Plenty, just rough for Taranaki. And then finally this week, North Harbor were hosting Manawatu and has, as it's become a mini tradition here in the scrum of the earth, I have nothing to report on it because I am saving it because I want to watch something just for me.
moving on to the Super 6 Championship. Okay, finally, you know, I'm going to admit it. I am afraid I missed all of these matches. I mean, it's only three, but still. It was an exciting round two nonetheless, starting with my Bormir Bears getting an emphatic road wing win over the weirdly awful Southern Knights. And by the way, and this isn't the first time I've mentioned this, I specifically reached out to Bormir and asked them about merch, and they were like, oh, you want us to send merch to the U.S.? That, that sounds great. They said they would get back to me. They definitely have not. So anyone who has some merch, send it along or just send them a little note being like, hey, what's up with that? Oh, yeah, the game itself. The final score was 15 to 24 in favor of my favorite visitors. On Saturday, the new branding didn't help the Sterling Wolves as they dropped one at home by quite a wide margin, 17 to 38. 38 points for Harriet's in that win was the high score of the weekend, but it was close as Watsonians dropped 34 at home versus 23 from the Ayrshire Bulls. And that's how the weekend ended up. Woo. Okay. Also though, quick side note, there was also the USA club sevens championship. And on one hand, you know, let's stay positive. It was lovely that the rugby network carried all the action for free, which is great. I think that's so lovely. I'm so grateful for the rugby network. However, in this case, they don't provide replays, just the live coverage. And it has to be said, this led to my finding, you know, more chinks in the old USA rugby armor. When I realized I couldn't watch after the fact, I thought it at least provide some results. You know, just look up what happened in these matches. Uh, what were the scores? Who, who, who's on top? But man, oh man. When you look up USA Club 7's championship, it suggests you go to usaclub7s.com. But that site is basically a blank page with please direct inquiries to FKE Uppins at picklepower.com in the middle of the screen, not sending an email there, nor am I going to visit picklepower.com anytime soon. I mean, actually it kind of sounds funny. Anyway, there's literally nothing there. So if you then back up and check the next result on your search list, you're directed towards a subsite of USA Rugby ostensibly dedicated to this very tournament. However, when you follow the link, you're brought to an incredibly janky, semi-non-functional site that hasn't been updated for, I'm pretty sure, two years. That page tells you that you can watch the action on something called USA Rugby TV, but following that link, oh my God, brings you to a site that isn't even in English, with Google offering, uh, offering to translate the site from, wait for it, Indonesian. That's right. Oh, USA Rugby, when, oh when? Will you be able to hire humans capable of updating your online content? Can you hire me to do it, please? I know how. I come cheap. Just let me know. I'll sort it all out for you. Holy cow. What a mess. Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, we're giving the accolades to Cherie Hume, who plays fullback for the Otago Spirit, and was an unstoppable force in their huge victory this weekend. Ms. Hume, you scored a brace of tries, carried for 106 meters off 14 carries while kicking for a whopping 379. The opposition looked completely overmatched on both sides of the ball. Your skill in fielding high balls, making oh so soft little offloads right at the perfect moment. The incredible energy you bring to every single moment has earned you this week's honor. So, Cherie Hume, congratulations for you are this week's Diamond in the Rock. Well done.
Okay, of course, we're on to updates and previews. So a quick table update for the FPC after an exciting round five. In the Premiership Division, Canterbury women are undefeated in four matches, garnering 20 points. While at the other end of the spectrum, Manawatu Cyclones and Wellington Pride have only one win apiece for seven and six points, respectively. In the Championship Division, Otago Spirit are 4-0, also holding 20 points, while Taranaki women are 0-4 and haven't managed to register a single point on the table. Rough. So round six begins on Saturday, the 20th of August. I mean, actually Friday, my time, with Taranaki hosting Northland, Wellington versus Bay Plenty, North Harbor, Hibiscus versus Otago Spirit, Tasman women versus Hawks Bay Tui, Canterbury women versus Manawatu Cyclones, and finally, Waikato women versus Auckland Storm. In the NPC, it's too early for table updates, frankly, with round two technically not even complete until early Wednesday morning my time. Same goes for the Super Six. Just feels too early at this stage. However, the action for both leagues does roll on. In the NPC, round two will officially wrap up on Wednesday with Otago hosting Hawks Bay, who I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit off the boil after another exhausting shield defense this weekend. And then moving on to Friday, it will be Counties Manukau versus Waikato, Taranaki versus Canterbury, Wellington versus Northland. Saturday for me will feature North Harbor versus Tasman, Auckland versus Bay Plenty, and Southland versus Otago, while Sunday will bring Manawatu versus Hawks Bay. Damn, they're going to be exhausted by then. In the Super 6 Championship, it's Sterling Wolves versus Southern Knights on Friday, Bulls Bears Saturday, along with Harriets versus Watsonians to round out the, well, round. And of course, in the boringly named Rugby Championship, there aren't any fixtures, with the teams on a travel week, I suppose, but they'll get back to it on the 27th. In the meantime, I am pleased to announce that the unnamed streaming service looks like it's actually going to be carrying Black Ferns versus Wallaroos, which I think will be the first time I've had a chance to see that matchup. So lots of great stuff in store this coming week. If I've missed anything, please get in touch and let me know. It's always great for me here uh, to hear from you either way. Such great stuff. My friends, that does it for another week. We've gone from having precious little to, to cover to just kind of an overwhelming amount, to be honest, which is always good news for me, to be fair. And I haven't got to save one, as I've said. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. Thanks for listening to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. <laughs>